You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. Uh, you'll notice that uh, whatever is in your worship folder by way of outline that we're not using today. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the judge, uh, Deborah, in the Old Testament. Uh, Judges chapter 4 and 5. And there, there is no outline because of a tech, technical problem. I got the flu on Tuesday. And uh, <clears throat> so I didn't get anything uh, written up. So at any rate, uh, this is all in my uh, mind. Um, the outline and on my tablet. So feel free to take notes if you wish. So if you look in your Bible to uh, the book of Judges, chapter 4 and chapter 5, we're going to look at Deborah, the only woman judge that we find in, in, uh, in the Old Testament. Very interesting story. It, it takes place during the period of time between when Joshua uh, kind of moved the Canaanites out of the Promised Land and Israel took possession, and then the time of the kings, when King Saul took over as, as king. And so it's a, it's a good period of time, a couple hundred years uh, take place in there. And uh, one of the characteristics is what we find in the very first line of chapter 4 uh, in the book of Judges. So if you look there, the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, about 11 times through the book of Judges we read this. And again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord, there ends up being persecution and oppression. They cry out to the Lord. The Lord sends a deliverer in the form of a judge. And they have like 20, 30, 40 years of rest. And then it says, and again, Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Isn't it interesting how often we revert? We have this... Some of you guys just came back from Israel. You're on this high. You had this incredible encounter with God in many places. It was, it was awesome. Six months from now, you're going to be looking for another moment like that. Because, again, one of the hardest parts of the Christian life is to maintain consistency, isn't it? To, to have a consistent walk with Jesus. You know, to, to have day by day by day being a consistent pattern that we find. That's why it's so important to develop a routine. As uh, Ryan has been teaching us in terms of daily devotions, in terms of finding a, a system or a format that keeps us centered, keeps us focused on our relationship with the Lord. Well, the text continues. And it says, um, the Israels again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. He was the previous judge. So the Lord sold them into the hand of King Jabin of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Now that's another interesting note here. King Jabin, it's a word that actually means the head of all of the Canaanite tribes. They had already been defeated by Joshua, and he had run them out of the land. And now some 80 years later, they had come back, and now they are oppressing Israel. In other words, Israel didn't destroy the evil influence. They just kind of moved them off to the side and got on with other things. And now over time, it has come back. 
they have come back. And, and that, that becomes a lesson for us as well, is that you, you can't just ignore something, you have to remove something uh, that God calls you to get out of your life. Don't just remove it, get rid of it. Don't just push it aside. They come back, King Jabin comes back. And now he has a commander of his army, was Sisera, who lived in Hashereth HaGoim, Goyim, uh, the word, he was a non-Jew. In fact, Sisera is part of a, a Phoenician tribe that was thrown out of Greece by the Greek armies, and they took up residence here in, uh, in, in the Middle East, in, uh, in the land of uh, Canaan. And one of the things, in fact, they're the precursors of the Philistines. And so one of the things that the Philistines were able to do was to forge iron ore into steel. And so this is right at the end of the Bronze Age and the beginning of the Iron Age. And uh, uh, this guy Sisera and his men made all of the swords and all of the metal implements. And it was kept as a big secret. No one else knew how to do that except them. So if you wanted weapons, you had to go to them. If you wanted plowshares, you had to go to them. If you wanted an ax, you had to go to them. They controlled all of the weapons in this area. And they had them and Israel didn't have them. Now he was the commander, he was the mercenary whose responsibility was to make the Canaanites increase and to keep all of their enemies down. And so it says here in the text, uh, then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron and had oppressed the Israelites cruelly for 20 years. And so for the last 20 years, this guy who had all the weapons made Israel's life difficult. If you read in the next chapter, in chapter five, five, you'll find that they had scattered into the hills and were hiding in the hills. There was no one on the, on the, on the highways, etc. Trade had come to an end. Everything was dominated by the Canaanites and the Israelites were, were, were uh, hiding. For 20 years it had been like this. And the text says, then, the Israelites called out to the Lord. How bad does it have to be before we say help? How bad does it have to be till we recognize we can't handle this on our own before we look to the Lord to, to, to give us direction and guidance and help and encouragement? For 20 years, don't wait that long. Don't wait that long. You know, help is always available. So 20 years, they cried out to the Lord. Now the text continues and says this. At that time, Deborah, a prophetess, wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel. Now here was a woman who we learn is a wife, is a mother, is a judge. She is a person through whom God is working. She is a channel through whom God speaks. She had a relationship with the Lord. People trusted her that when they ask her a question, she would give them God's answer. Now, you'll, you'll notice that it says here, she used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. Now, this is a judge that people would come to and ask their questions uh, for spiritual direction. If they had a difficulty with another person, they came to her for a judgment. And notice, she's about 30 to 40 miles south of Shiloh, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was 
which is where the priests were. The priests had been so corrupted during these days that nobody went to the priest for instruction. They went around the priest and came to Deborah and asked her because she had the wisdom of the Lord. This is the time period during the Judges where at the end of it, as we remember as Samuel in 1 Samuel uh, came to the forefront, Eli and his sons were the priests and they were all corrupt. And so the people just it avoided them and they came to Deborah. She was a very godly woman. She was a wise woman. God spoke through her. She was in relationship with God. Now, the people asked for help. And so where is this help going to come from? Continue on with the story. It says, she sent and summoned Barak, son of Abinoab from Kadesh in Naphtali and said to him, now, Barak was the appointed head of the army, if you will, for a better word, um, of, of Israel. He was the guy who was in charge of protecting Israel. The Canaanites had run over the whole area, so obviously Barak is not doing a very good job, is he? God has called him to be the leader. God has called him to have this kind of position, but he has not acted on it yet. And so Deborah calls him down to where she is to remind him of who he is, of what God has called him to do. And she says, the Lord, the God of Israel commands you. Now, in my text, that's the way it's written. But in the best text, it says this, hasn't the Lord God commanded you? It's a question, probably most of your texts read it that way. Hasn't the Lord God commanded you to, uh, to go take position at Mount Tabor, bringing 10,000 from the tribe of Naphtali and the tribe of Zebulun? Hasn't the Lord commanded you to go out against Sisera? Now the answer to that question is, well yes he has, but look at, they've got, they've got chariots of iron. They've got swords, they've got spears, uh, we, we've got rods of wood, we've got rocks and slings, uh, we, we've got uh, baseball bats, but uh, you know, we, they have all of these, what's, evidently he hasn't done anything up until this po point. And he says, and the Lord says, I will draw out Sisera, your general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the Wadi Kishon with his chariots and troops, and I will give them into your hand. Hasn't the Lord said, you do this, and I'll give you the victory. Don't worry about their weapons. Trust me. Hasn't the Lord said that to you? And he, Barak said to her, he said, well, if you'll go with me, I'll go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. As long as you're there to give me encouragement, to give me, you know, uh, isn't that interesting? Deborah is going to be the one who gives the encouragement and the strength to the general of the army. God works in mysterious ways, right? Uh, in fact, that's the way it works in my house. How about yours? John's already shaking his head. <laughs> we just show up, right, John? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> well, that's what we see happening in this, uh, in, in this passage. Deborah has all the faith in the world, and Barak says, I will, I will need your faith in order to encourage me to go into battle. Sometimes what we need to do what God has called us to do is encouragement. And Deborah is the encourager of, um, uh, of uh, Barak. And so she says, I certainly will go with you. Nevertheless, 
The road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Because you hesitated, you will not get the credit for this victory, but a woman will. Now maybe he thought she meant Deborah, but Deborah doesn't mean her. She means somebody else, as we'll see in, in, um, uh, in, a, in, in a moment. So wh what happens is that he goes back, as you see here, um, um, verse 10. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors went up behind him, and Deborah went up with him. You know, sometimes people are just waiting for a leader. Sometimes people are just waiting for somebody to say, let's go. And finally, Barak said, let's go, and 10,000 people showed up to go with him with their spears made of wood, their swords made of wood, their rocks, their slingshots, and whatever else they had. They showed up to go into battle against Sisera. Now, Sisera hears about this. Uh, verse 12, when Sisera was told that Barak, son of Abiniab, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the troops who were with him from um, uh, Harosheth HaGoim to the Wadi Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Now, this is, you, you've heard of the Battle of Armageddon? This is the place where that battle is going to take place, right here in this valley. Uh, in fact, many wars have taken place. Napoleon fought a, a battle on this very uh, area. However, the way that they got there is Sisera and his troops came down the Wadi. This is the river bed. And during the summer, it's dry and it's hard and it's flat. And so it was the easiest place for the chariots to, to come through. So his 900 chariots and all of his men are in this wadi coming down to meet them on this plain where they're going to do battle. And as they're coming, as you read in chapter 5, God sends an incredible rainstorm up on Mount Tabor. Unbelievable amounts of water. Have you ever been in Palmdale when it rains? What happens? Flash floods. Well, that's what took place. An amazing amount of water comes down this wadi. And before they could get out, it was over them. And they drowned. Their horses drowned. Their chariots were stuck in the mud. And as they were climbing out the side of these banks, Israel was there with their baseball bats. Wham! And as it says here, as you'll read, and the Lord threw Sisera and all his chariots and all his army into a panic before Barak. Sisera... Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot while Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Hasereth Hagoim and all the army of Sisera fell by the sword. No one was left. A tremendous victory. How did they win? The Lord fought for them. All through the Old Testament, what do we learn again and again and again? The battle is the Lord's. You don't have to go and fight. Just show up and the Lord will give you the victory. That's how the Canaanites were taken out of their land. It's just believe that I am with you. Believe that I am in charge. Believe that my will is going to be done. It's not up to you. It's up to me. And I'm going to do it. And the Lord gave them complete victory. Incredible. But Sisera, the general, somehow he escaped. 
and he flees to where he thinks is a safe place outside of Israel uh, into, as as we read here in the next one, in a place uh, uh, into Heber the Canaanite's village. Verse 17, now Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was peace between King Jabin of Hazor and the clan of Heber the Kenite. He thought he was in a safe place. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, have no fear. So he turned aside to her into the tent and she covered him with a rug, you'll be safe here. And then he said to her, please give me a little water to drink for I'm thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, stand at the entrance of the tent and if anybody comes and asks you, is anyone here, say no. But Jael, wife of Hebor, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground. He was lying fast asleep from weariness and he died. Now there's one of the great verses of the Old Testament. (laughs) Whenever somebody is, when people are sharing their favorite verses, um, I I always uh, share Uh, Judges 419 and when they look it up and she took a tent peg and pounded it into the side of his head remember that that's a great verse to share when and so a woman gets the honor of killing the enemy Sisera um, uh, in in this in this uh, story and and he is gone, and then all of Jabin's power is taken away. So if you look at verse 23, if you skip down. So on that day, God subdued King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. And then the hand of the Israelites bore harder and harder on King Jabin of Canaan until they destroyed King Jabin of Canaan. And all of a sudden, the Canaanites were gone from, from Israel. And the end of chapter 5 says this after that event, and the land had rest for 40 years. The enemy is gone. They exercised faith, and the land was at peace. There was a sense of abundance as these people had acted on what God had said. I want you to notice one other verse back in, in, in chapter 4 of what Deborah says in verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, as Sisera and all his troops are coming down that wadi, she says, up, for this is the day on which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. That's the word up. That's what we would say, charge. This is the day that the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. You know, on that day, on that moment, what do you have to do? You have to charge, you have to get up, you have to get going, you have to take advantage of the moment. How many times in scripture are we told about the moment? Are we told about this is the day? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not tomorrow, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today, this moment. That's one of the big pieces of this story. And so as we we think about this story, there's some things that kind of come to my mind. Sometimes I call them thoughts and sometimes applications, but there's some things that come to my mind that I'd like to talk to us about uh, as we uh, uh, are here this morning. The first is this, the issue of Israel up and down. God delivers them. They have 40 years of peace. You know what happens after the 40 years? 
If you go to the next chapter, and again, Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This up and down. See, how do you, how do you maintain a sense of consistency? Faithfulness grows out of a personal relationship with God. That, that's why it's important not to have just knowledge about God. Being religious is not enough to keep us consistent. You know, just having a religious practice that we follow. It's a relationship with God. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what it is. If, if, we're, in a, if we're going to know God, it's through Jesus Christ. It's through a relationship. Relationships involve conversation. They involve listening. They involve spending time together. They, they involve doing things together. They involve being re responsive to each other's needs, etc. It's a relationship. Religion is never enough of a motivation. Only relationship can keep us from falling over and over and over again. So it's relationship. And that's what this story is about. It's about Deborah has a relationship with God and God is able to use her in ways that impact the nation and brings them abundance for 40 years through this one woman. Here's a second thought. God uses people who are willing to be used and who will follow him unconditionally. Two things, he uses people who are willing to be used. It's not like you know, God has to pull somebody you know, who's running that direction to get them to move in the right direction. He discovers people who are willing, who want to be used. It's Isaiah, when Isaiah uh, encountered the Lord, he saw the Lord, his, his next response was when the Lord said, who, who can I use? Who will go for me? Who will represent me? Remember what Isaiah said? Here I am, Lord, use me. I'm available. You know, I, I think that's what God calls us to be. You know, we all can't be spiritual giants that uh, become Billy Grahams that have uh, outstanding impact on, on the world around. That's not who God calls us to be. But he calls us to be available because from time to time, God has something for us to be, for us to do. And if we're available, and if we're willing to do unconditionally whatever it is he asks us to do, great things can happen. God can use anybody to accomplish great things if they are willing to be used. And so one of the questions this story asks us is, are we willing? Are you willing for God to use you, or, or are you hoping that when he calls, you're out of the room? Are we willing to be used, and, are we, and will we follow him unconditionally? Now, sometimes, like Barak, sometimes we need encouragement, don't we? We need encouragement to be used. That's why worship is so important. Do you remember that passage in Hebrews chapter 4 where he says, hey, don't neglect meeting together uh, of yourselves together, but he said, instead, come together and encourage each other uh, as long as it's called today. Keep, you know, spur one another on is the word that he's saying. What he's saying is, when, when you're here with your brothers and sisters, we're much more apt to be able to hear what God is calling us to do. And, and it's, it's harder to hide in a group. You know, we are encouraged by each other to say, yes, Lord, I will. Especially when we see others saying, yes, Lord, I will. We're encouraged to respond. 
And so sometimes we need encouragement. And one of the things that church is to be good at is encouraging each other towards good works, to the things that God calls us to be and to do. Here's the next thought. You know, sometimes it seems to us that the enemy's weapons are too great for us to fight against. Seems like Satan has everything lined up on his side of the ledger, and, and we just don't have many resources on ours. He's got the lawyers, he's got the, you know, all, all of the stuff. Seems like we're always in the minority. Seems like we're always behind the dime. And sometimes we get intimidated. It, it's easy to get intimidated. But here's the, 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 this story says, the enemy's weapons might be too great for us, but they're never too great for God. And so our task is not to focus on how difficult the task is. Our task is to focus on who God is. God is the one who has everything that we need to accomplish whatever it is that he calls us to be. As a husband, as a wife, you know, as a parent, as, you know, as a teacher, as, as in your job, in your neighborhood, where it, at church, wherever you are, it seems that there's things that God's calling us to be, and it just seems too difficult to be it. We look at the other person and say, I, I, I just can't, can't be that with this person. Don't look at the other person. Look at God. His resources are greater than you will ever need. He's all you will ever need. And that's why we're encouraged throughout Scripture, are you going to walk by faith, or are you going to walk by sight? If you walk by sight, you're not going to go very far. But if you walk by faith, you can kill the enemy with a tent peg. See, that's the, that's, that's the idea. <laughs> D. What all of Israel's army couldn't do in capture Sisera, a woman did with a tent peg. See, the mysterious ways of God. How does God accomplish his purposes? And the answer is, in a million different ways. There is no strategy that we can figure out. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. I mean, just think about Christmas. I've got to get my son to come into the world. Okay, I've got to redeem the world. How are we going to do this? And he comes up with a virgin birth. Would you say that's a mysterious way? I've got to get these wise men from Persia over to Bethlehem. Let's see. I think I'll have a star come up that's never been there before and move so that they can follow it. Would you say that's mysterious? I mean, it's weird. I mean, you, you read the stories of Jesus. I mean, they're mysterious. I mean, who would, who would imagine the way that you cure somebody of blindness is by spitting on your hand, making mud, and putting it in their eyes, right? I mean, you just keep on, it's, it's how God does things is how God does things. And I'm sure we all have stories about how God has worked in our lives that's just mysterious. That just is like, how did that work out? How did that happen? God. That's what God does. He, he does those mysterious ways. And we, and we need to believe them. See, that, that's why the Christmas story is so, is so enriching. In fact, the message I was going to preach was going to be about the wise men. It was going to be about what's happening. And um, it, it, what's interesting to me is, there, you know, there's a lot of wise men at that time. And how come just these guys followed what, what was happening? How come they noticed something was happening and nobody else did? You ever think about that? Well, I don't want to preach that sermon. I'm preaching <laughs> this one. <clears throat> here's, here's the next thought. 
the result of Deborah's encouraging Barak and Barak calling his men into action and coming out against this over-fortified force that uh, uh, came against them. Result of that one act of faith results in 40 years of peace for Israel. You know, Jesus promises us that when we follow him, that he's going to give us life and give it to us abundantly. Not just 40 years, but an abundant quality of life every single day as we exercise our faith on a daily basis in the promises that God gives us. We act on them, trusting that he's gonna figure out how to work it out. Not us, I don't have to have the answer or the solution before I work it out. I just simply have to obey, I have to follow. 40 years of rest, one act of faith. I think every time we exercise faith, it creates a blessing in our lives. It creates an abundance of some kind in our life. And so if we live by faith, we live in this abundance. We live in the satisfaction that comes from being in a relationship with Jesus day by day by day. And there's joy. As we've talked before, there's this subterranean joy that nothing can take away because he keeps pouring more into our lives than we can ever give away. It's just, it's the way he enriches us. You know, as we think about Deborah and this story, think about Barak and the call that God made in his life that he never acted on because he was afraid or whatever the reason was. It, it brings us to the point of saying, you know, is there anything that God is calling me to do? Is there anything in my life right now that is something that God is calling me to do? I know he wants me to be this. I know he wants me to do this. I, I know he wants me to deal with this in my character. I know he wants me to get rid of this in my behavior. I, I, I know this, he, he's, he's spoken to me, about, but I've not yet done anything about it. Maybe today, being with your brothers and sisters in worship, singing these songs, focusing our attention on him in, in prayer, listening to his word, maybe this is an encouragement to you to say, you know, today I'm going to get up, I'm going to charge, and I'm going to put my faith in what I know God has promised me, and I'm going to be the person he's calling me to be. Can you hear that this morning? Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, thank you so much that you don't let us alone. Thank you so much that when you call us, you promise that you'll equip us, you promise that you'll be with us, you promise that you'll give us everything that we need. Lord, may we hear your encouragement as we are here in this place today, that we can do what you've called us to do, even though it seems impossible, even though they have iron weapons and we just have wood. Lord, with you, all things are possible. Lord, give us that kind of faith today to put into action what you're calling us to be and do. I pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.